Welcome to the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person. This good news sermon was given in the Great Auditorium in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit OceanGrove.org to learn how we are fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship, educational, cultural, and recreational programs at the Jersey Shore. Now let us join together in this historic confession of our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, my name is Christian, and this morning I have the great privilege of opening for you some simple words from our Lord and Savior and friend, Jesus. And these words are about friendship. And it is a very special thing for me to speak of friendship as I stand before so many friends, uh, new friends and old friends. And so listen now to the words recorded of our Lord and Savior on the very evening he would go off and be arrested and then die. Listen to these words for the disciples. Open your hearts to them. This is John 15, verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do this commandment which I give you. Uh, this is God's good word for us. Amen. Welcome, friends. Before I start the prayer this morning, I want to tell you that, you know, our prayer here at the auditorium ends in the Lord's Prayer, which is probably the, the best and the foremost way modeled for praying that Jesus Christ has given to us. But there's a model that I used for my Sunday school class that I've taught them, which is the model of the acronym of ACTS. ACTS as in the scripture, the book, and the Bible. A-C-T-S, A standing for adoration, which a lot of people have difficulty with because we think more in terms of thankfulness, but adoration is praise. It's not thanking somebody for something that they did, but it's praising someone, in this case, God, and who he is. So it's praising someone for who they are. And then the C stands for confession, the T stands for thanksgiving, and the S for supplication, which is just a fancy word for asking God for things. So let's join together in a word of prayer, and we'll follow this simple model. Heavenly Father, we come before you praising you for who you are. God, you are the creator, you are the sustainer. You have provided salvation for us. 
You are a good God, a generous God. You are the beginning and the end. You are the mighty to save. We praise you, God, for who you are. You are benevolent to us. Our scripture in Romans 8.28 says that your will is ever directed towards our good. We praise you for who you are. And Lord, we take a moment to confess our sins to you. In 1 John 1.9, it says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. There are corporate sins that we commit, Lord, as Christians sometimes, those of not being as kind and friendly and forgiving as we should, sometimes not doing the things that we should, and many times straying away from you. Oftentimes, we are not friendly to others. And Lord, we confess to you a few things on our own right now. And Lord, we want to thank you for the many things that you've provided for us. We thank you for this holy place that you provided and for all those that went before us that you worked through in order to provide this place called Ocean Grove. We thank you for our preacher this morning Christian Andrews and how he will deliver your word to us so that we could understand it better. Lord, we thank you for the good news that you give us to share with others and that you work through us in the witness that we have. We thank you for our friends and our family and Lord, we thank you for this country that we live in, this free country where we can come to worship you And Lord, we want to take a few minutes for supplication to ask things of you, Lord. You said that a prayer of a righteousness, of a righteous person availeth much. And of course, we are not righteous in our own ways, but only because of Christ's death on the cross for us. So Lord, we come before you asking for your blessing for our churches. Not so much for the building, but yes, we pray for the church buildings, Lord, that you would send away anything that would cause them to rust or to fail. But we also pray for what the true church is, which is the people of the church, Lord. Our brothers and sisters, some of them persecuted in other places, and even us in this country sometimes persecuted for what we stand for. Lord, we pray also, Lord, that you would guide the people that lead this place, the trustees, the president of the camp meeting, the staff that works here tirelessly for your glory, the many volunteers all around us that make this such a blessed place. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our country and our government Lord, that you would guide them and control them and show them your way and that they would be humble before you so that they might see the wisdom that you can provide. Lord, we know that there's our people around us. Everyone has a challenge that they're dealing with and we pray for those around us here in the auditorium 
that you would deliver them and help them and help them to turn to you. And Lord, we bring before you our family and our friends, and Lord, for our own needs, that you would take care of the needs that we have and we carry them to you, Lord, because you said that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. So Lord, we ask you to take care of the needs that we have and help us to be guided by your Holy Spirit that we might live a life of faith, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and all of the other aspects that you give us through your Holy Spirit so that we can be your people glorifying you in this world. And now, Lord, we take that model that you gave to us through Jesus Christ, and we pray that back to you, Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for coming today and for joining us in worship and celebration at the Great Auditorium. Just as a point of personal privilege, I've never been up here before, and to hear the choir sing behind you for the first time is really a remarkable um, thing to, to be able to hear. So I was really glad to be able to experience that this morning. We are thrilled that you come to share your Sunday with us and excited to hear the word of the Lord brought through us to us through Pastor Christian. Andrews. Um, if this is your first time visiting, we hope that you'll come back again and enjoy all that Ocean Grove has to offer. So now I have the pleasure of introducing Pastor Christian Andrews. His bio is in the bulletin. Um, it's probably one of the cooler bios that I've seen in my years of coming to the auditorium. It includes that he's not only a surfer and a skater, but he was a born and bred Jersey boy from just up the road in Middletown, New Jersey, and he currently serves as the lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Summit, New Jersey. Um, for the past week, he's been with us at Bible Hour and speaking on 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, about pursuing seven virtues to making our faith more fruitful and effective. He's been talking about how the world needs believers to put that faith into action. Now, I wasn't able to be at Bible Hour, so you're probably wondering how I know what he spoke about. Um, I am fortunately blessed uh, to receive virtually a succinct reporting of all of his messages via text message from my mother. Hey, before I begin, I want to say a few words of thanks. I got to spend the week here, and in Bible Hour, I got to interact with a lot of you, and I see uh, you scattered throughout, and it was such a gift to me to be able to be a pastor to you in this week behind, so I thank you. I also want to thank the trustees. Uh, for extending this invitation to me. Uh, I have had a great week playing at the beach. Uh, I think some of you saw me down there. Um, maybe some of you were concerned for me being so reckless and insane. You're surprised to see me up here. Who is this person? But it's been a great joy for me to be with my kids, uh, our daughter Lily, uh, a Abraham, and, and Nathaniel, and my wife Michelle and I. We've had a really great time this week, so I want to thank you for that. Uh, and then... And this is really most important uh, for me to use both the experiences that God has given me in the past and then the gifts that he's given me to try my best to help people by talking about the truth. Well, that's the best thing in the world for me. And that's what I get to do with you now. 
to try my best to open up something true from God's Word to help every single one of us move forward a little bit. And I'm sure that I'm right when I say every one of you could use a little forward momentum in life. Isn't that so? The Apostle Peter taught that there are seven virtues which make faith work. If these virtues are ours and they're growing among us, they keep our faith from being ineffective and unfruitful. Some of you will know who have come to faith, who have received joyfully the gift of salvation in Christ, you will know that there are days where it feels like it makes no difference for you. And it's hard to shout amen when you think of that. Yes? Yeah, don't yell amen. <laughs> Others will know that often people who profess faith in Christ, they don't live any differently in the world. It's as if their faith makes no difference out there in the world. And what the Apostle Peter taught is there's a reason for that. On the one hand, faith and an awareness of God's gift in Christ is just that. It's a gift. No one earns it. No one's saved by works. We're saved by God's grace through faith, and no one can boast. And that's a tremendous gift. Some of you know that, yes? But then right after teaching that, Peter went on to say, but unless we make every effort at supporting our faith, we should not be surprised if our faith makes no difference for us or in the world around Listen to the way Peter puts it. And this is in the second letter that Peter wrote in the first chapter, verse 5. He tells us this. You must make every effort to support your faith with goodness. That's the first virtue he lists. You must support your goodness with knowledge. That's the second. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness. Each one of those five have been our theme at Bible Hour in the week behind us. There are two more in his list. The sixth, which we'll talk about this morning, is mutual affection. And then the last is love. In Greek, both of those two virtues are different words for love. The first is Philadelphia, Greek for brotherly love or sisterly love. Do not think of that city. <laughs> I, I like Philly. <laughs> and then the seventh is the word agape in Greek. That will be our theme tonight. This morning, the virtue which supports all of the previous virtues, the virtue of mutual affection, of brotherly and sisterly love, in a word, the virtue of friendship. Now listen to what Peter says about these virtues. If these are yours and are increasing among you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your faith. And what that means is that Peter wants us to understand that if we want to have a faith that matters for us and others out in the world, which we should, then we have to be at work. We have to make every effort. And now this morning, the thing that we are called to work at if our faith is going to matter is friendship. It's not surprising that Peter taught this because Peter was with Jesus right before Jesus died when he told his friends that the most important thing for them to do was to love one another. I read those words just a little while ago. 
This is my new commandment, Jesus said, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Here is Jesus, the one who is God with us, who taught like no one else ever taught, and right on the eve of his own death, he summed it all up with the word love. And then to make it more particular, he told them, no one has greater love than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friends. There you have it. Jesus himself taught Peter that the most important thing was love, and the most important love was the love that exists between friends. And that means for you personally, if you want to see your faith make a difference for you and in the world around you, which you should, maybe the most important thing that you can work at is being a good friend. Can you think for a moment of some of the friends that God has given you in your life? And I want you to be specific here. I already let it out that there uh, amongst you are some friends that I see, friends that I've known for a long time and new friends too. Would you let those friends come to your mind? And listen now, Jesus wants you to know this morning that the most important thing that you can pursue is loving those friends well. In the summer of 1996, I met a stranger who then became a friend and who to this day is one of my very best friends. His name is Adam. It would not be a stretch to say, listen now, that one of the best things in my life is my friendship with Adam. And that's a gift from God. We were in graduate school together from 96 to 2002. In 2001, we got invited with a group of other graduate students to go off to Switzerland to study for one and a half months in Basel, the, the great Swiss theologian Karl Barth. Day in and day out, we worked hard. Adam studied. I distracted him from his studies so that we could go off and have fun together. At the end of the month and a half, we left Basel, and we went to a little village called Leuenberg. Has anyone here ever spent time in the Swiss Alps? It's hard to overestimate their beauty. We left the train station in Leuenberg, and we hiked up this mountain road to the conference center, and it was absolutely magnificent. You could see for many miles. The road was treacherous as it wound up into the mountains, no guardrails. We got there after day one of the conference. I realized even though I scored high on my German proficiency exam back in Princeton, I couldn't understand a word of what the lecturer was saying. I, I reviewed my notes. I wrote in there, it's like I'm a dog trying to understand human speech. I, I, I told my 10-year-old son this. He reminded me, Dad, uh, dogs can understand some words. <laughs> it was like that for me. I'm serious. It was like, Deutschland über alles in der Welt, walk. And that's what I could understand. Single words here and there. On the second night of the conference, I convinced my friend Adam that it was a waste of time to stay. I said, why don't we sneak out and go back into Basel? There's a world-class restaurant there called Le Train Bleu. And he agreed. We walked down that road. Now listen. And he walked beside me as a true friend. Listen, think of that friend that you have. Would you do that? As we walked together, I told him about some of the ways that I'd been brutally hurt by people in my life. Some of you have been brutally hurt, haven't you? And while I told him, I saw his teeth clench and, and his fists form like this, as if he wanted to fight for me because I'd been wronged. Do you have a friend like that? I told him about the uncertainty of my future coming toward the end of my graduate studies. I wasn't sure that I wanted to be an academic theologian. He listened well, and he gave me his view on me, which I can't have because I can't see myself like my friends can. Do you have a friend like that? 
I shared with him some of the thoughts that I had for what would be good, and he knew enough to know that I was out of my mind in some ways, and he told me so. He said very difficult things to me that I didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. He was a good friend all the way down the mountain. There at the restaurant, the waiters were wearing tuxedos. They delivered our food on silver platters. Everything was paid for by Princeton Theological Seminary. Thank God. (laughs) I had a rack of lamb. We shared a bottle of wine from the local vineyards, and we talked for hours. It was such a gift. If you have a friendship like that, would you thank God for that friendship in your heart right now? If you don't even believe in God, and here you are, I promise you that the best friendship you have is his gift to you, and he just is waiting for you to receive it. We got back from Basel to the train station at Loyenburg. We disembarked. We began to walk up that hill, and then before long, as we turned a corner, we realized that here in Switzerland, there are no streetlights. And it was a cloudy evening. And as we rounded the second bend climbing up that mountain, we suddenly came to the point where we had to stop walking because it was so dark that you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. Have you ever been in a place like that? And then we both recalled how treacherous the road was, and knowing that we couldn't see and it was dangerous, we began to shuffle until we both stopped, and then I felt something brush against my side. Christian. That was Adam's voice. Would you hold my hand? I'm scared. <laughs> Please don't ever tell anyone. I, I promise I'll never tell anyone. <laughs> A friend is someone whose hand is open for you when you need it. A friend is someone who wants to fight for you when other people have done you wrong. A friend is someone who will not stop walking beside you no matter how dark it is, no matter how dangerous it is. A friend will go there with you. That's who friends are. And according to Jesus Christ, the ones who, who those of us who believe here is the Lord himself, according to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master, the most important thing is love, and the most important love is the love that exists between friends. And if we would trust Peter, one who was Jesus' friend, who walked with him right there up until the day that he died, then we will have to acknowledge this morning that maybe the most important thing that we ourselves can pursue for our faith to be what it was meant to be is friendship. Do you know that the world is a mess? Yes, what the world needs, listen, is not more legislation, although that might be helpful, not new laws, although maybe they may make a difference, Uh, not new political leaders, although that, of course, would be good. Yes, of course. But that's not deeply what the world needs. What the world needs is men and women who believe in Jesus to put their faith in action so that they become the difference that the world needs. And the way that that will happen is when our faith becomes a fruitful and effective. And that will happen when we pursue the virtues that support faith. And here we learn from Peter that friendship is the virtue that supports all the previous virtues. So what is friendship? Listen to these words. Without friends, no one would choose to live even if he had all of the world's goods. Do you know who said that? That was Aristotle. Er, No, no, woohoo for Aristotle. We have no philosophers here. Yes. Aristotle, like many in his day, was in earnest about discovering those human virtues that would support an ethical life that would make the world good. 
in one of his most important writings on ethics, the Nicomachean Ethics, he dedicated one-third of what he wrote to friendship. In that treatise, which is magnificent, he distinguishes different types of friendship from one another. Three he names. The first he calls friendships of utility. These are relationships that people get into because the other person has something that they want and being friends with them is useful for them. Have you ever had a friendship like this? You somehow happen to have a lease on one of these tents back here. Someone finds out that you have a tent and it's vacant one week in the summer. And guess what? Now they want to be your friend, right? If you, has that happened here or not? I was thinking this on Friday. I'm not kidding. I met somebody who said, I have a tent. I thought, can I be their friend next summer? <laughs> Friendships of utility. They're common, but they're not true friendship because once the tent goes away, so does the friendship. The second kind of friendship that Aristotle named, he called friendships of pleasure. These were relationships that people get into because the other person makes them feel good about themselves. And there's nothing deeply wrong with feeling good about yourself, but when a friendship is based simply on the fact that that other person puffs you up, they always say things that make you feel good about yourself. They always confirm your illusions about how great you are. You only stay in relationship with them as long as they make you feel good. We all know that's not also a real friendship, right? And those are a lot of friendships too. The third kind Aristotle distinguishes from those first two essentially in that unlike those two, this kind of friendship is not centered on yourself. It's rather selfless. It's not a friendship you get into because you get something for you. It's not a friendship you pursue because it makes you feel good, but this is what Aristotle said. It is a friendship, and this is what the truest friend is, in which you seek the good of the other for his own sake. The good of the other for her own sake. This is a friendship where you pursue the benevolence and the goodness of that other person regardless of what it costs you and without any thought of getting something back in return for befriending them. This is what true friendship is. Do you have a true friendship like this? Uh, listen now, not, let's change it, not is someone befriending you like this, but do you see before you the opportunity to befriend another person like this? I am absolutely certain that every one of you in here has a person who you can befriend in the way that Aristotle said, and better yet, in the way that Jesus taught. How can we be friends in a way that supports all of the virtues that support our faith? Come back again in your mind for a moment to the words that Jesus shared about what true friendship looked like. Do you remember what he said after commanding that you should love? No one has greater love than this to lay one's life down for one's friends. Have you ever thought deeply about what that means? Uh, when we read it quickly, it sounds like he's saying to die for your friends, right? And you may know that the way Jesus' life ended was that he died literally, and the Bible says for his friends. In fact, he died only hours after telling Peter and the rest of them that this was the greatest life, uh, love, to lay your life down for one's friends. But we mishear Jesus if we think he tells us that the best thing to do is to die for your friends. In fact, in Greek, there are five verbs, all of which mean in one form or another to sacrifice your life for another person, and Jesus uses none of them when he tells his friends that the most important love is to lay one's life down. 
And if he meant that the most important love you can give is to die for your friends, well, then he would have said, die for your friends. But he didn't say that. He said, lay your life down. Please listen now. This is the heart of it. You need to get this. To lay one's life down for one's friends is not about dying for them, but it's about how you choose to live for them. In Greek, the verb is tithami. And literally translated, it means to put or to place something down in front of another so that you no longer retain control of it, but rather you put it at the disposal of the person before whom you have placed it. That's what lay one's life down means. It means to take your life which you have and instead of controlling it for yourself always, to set it down before another person so what you have is at their disposal. So that you relinquish control over everything you have for the time being so that it becomes before them like an instrument which can be used for their benefit. Do you see what Jesus is teaching when he says the greatest love is to lay one's life down for one's friends? It means to use the life that you have for the sake of another rather than always for yourself. What precisely would it look like to lay one's life down? Here is the question. And let me put it in the proper perspective again. When you get the answer to this question, how could I lay my life down for others? According to Peter, you would be getting the information which would make it so your faith is effective and fruitful, so that it makes a difference for you and the world around you. It is a good thing that we have other words which John wrote which teach us what it means to lay one's life down concretely. Some of you know the Bible well. Can you think already in your mind of other places where this phrase, lay one's life down, shows up in John's writing? If this were Bible hour, it would be time to show off. <laughs> the first place this phrase appears for John, this phrase, laying one's life down, teaches us the first thing, uh, the first, it shows us the first way it looks to love your friends by laying down your life. This is in 1 John Chapter 3, listen to these words. We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. There's the phrase again, tithemi. Jesus, he laid his life down for us. We should place our lives down for one another. Now, if we wonder exactly what that looks like, John continues in verse 17 by saying, how does God's love abide in anyone, listen, who has the world's goods and then sees a brother or sister in need, but refuses to help. What's the answer to that? Well, God's love doesn't abide in a person like that because if you have something in your hands which your friend does not have and he needs and you don't give it, why then you're not doing what would make sense for anyone who loves God to do. And what makes sense to do in that moment is to lay your life down for your friends. And so here's the first picture of what laying your life down looks like. It means opening your hands up to your friends. When you have something that they don't have and they need, share it with them. And in that way, you'll lay your life down for them. That's simple, isn't it? You can do that, can't you? You have plenty of things. And some of you have friends who don't have the, those things. And it could be anything. It could be your money. It could be your time. It could be your intelligence. It could be your energy. 
It could be your listening ears, whatever you have that your friend doesn't. To lay your life down, first of all, according to John, means to have open hands with your friends. That's the first thing. The second time that we see this phrase in John's gospel will be well known to some of you. Maybe it was the first one that came to mind. This is when Jesus is distinguishing himself as the good shepherd from those hired hands who are not good shepherds in John chapter 10. Do you know this passage? Listen again to learn what it means to titha me, to lay your life down. Jesus told his friends, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, don't go thinking this means that he's going to die. Yes, Jesus will die, but before that, it means something else, which you are responsible for pursuing if you're going to have the virtue of friendship. He goes on, the hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is distinguished from the bad one in that when the wolves come, he doesn't run away, but he stays put. And here's the second thing that good friendship looks like. Here's what it looks like to lay down your life. Are you ready for this? It looks like clenched fists when the wolves come. It looks like staying put when there's some threat to the well-being of your friend that makes you and would make anyone else want to run away, but instead, a good friend lays down her life for her friend, and that means she stays put when those wolves come. And I know that you know what it's like to be standing in life where there are threats against your well-being that are ravenous and destructive, and you don't have the strength to stand against them. The wolves of being betrayed by a community of faith that was supposed to support you. The wolves of anxiety and depression, maybe in the life of your own child who can't manage his stress, but here come the wolves. The wolves of being desperately lonely because the one you loved isn't here with you anymore because she stopped loving you or because death stole him away. And here you are facing the wolves of loneliness. And what Jesus here says is the good shepherd is the one who stays put even though the wolves come. Will those wolves threaten him? Yes, of course. A true friend is the one who lays down his life for his friends. And that means he stays put even when those terrors threaten him. Even when maybe staying put for his friend will make him look bad before other people who have heard rumors, who have, who have been slandering that person. He'll stay put anyway. The friend is the one who refuses to give up even though the terror is there. And this is the second thing that Jesus wants us to understand about what it would look like to lay our lives down for our friends, to have open hands and to share, to have clenched fists and to stay put. And here's the third place that that phrase is used. It comes a little bit later on in John. In chapter 13, on the very night that Jesus had told his followers that he was going to have to go to the cross and die. Try to imagine how hard it would be to hear your friend tell you that. The one that you'd learned from and loved, like the disciples had learned from and loved Jesus. He told them, where I'm going, you can't follow me. And one of them, Peter, our teacher, the one who teaches us about the virtues, he was so aghast at the thought that he wouldn't be able to go along with Jesus. In John chapter 13, we read this. Uh, he said to Jesus, this is verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And then he made this promise. I will lay down my life for you. And there it is again. 
Tithami. Peter was insisting that there was no road that was too difficult for him to accompany Jesus. That no matter how hard the path got, Peter promised, I'll stay right beside you. That no matter how dark the darkness was, he would walk with him at every step of the way. And so he promised, I'll lay down my life for you. And so here we see that laying down one's life looks like shoulder to shoulder with a friend. That no matter how scary and no, ma and no matter how much the resistance, I'll go with you. And that was the promise that Peter made. And so here this third picture rounds it out for us. To lay one's life down, to be a true friend, looks like having open hands and clenched fists and standing shoulder to shoulder. And I promise you that if you want to have a faith which is fruitful and effective, that the most important thing you can begin to pursue is with the friends that God has given you, open hands and clenched fists and shoulder to shoulder. Whether it's at work or at home, whether it's in the kitchen or in the living room or after everyone else has gone to bed there with your spouse, wherever it is, even if it's on the beach or in the tents or even if it's on a mountain road walking in the darkness in Switzerland, what you need most is a friend. Adam, for me, has been one of God's greatest gifts because he's a friend. About six years ago, I was teaching at Princeton, the place where both of us went to school. I got finished opening up uh, the word to a group of about 150 students who were training to be pastors. I told this story about Adam then, too. <laughs> After I was finished, a student waited until everyone else left and came up to me, introduced himself, and explained that he had studied theology out at Whitworth University in Washington. That's where my friend Adam ended up as a teacher. Dr. Nieder, that's his last name, Dr. Nieder also told us that story one day. <laughs> Except when he told it, <laughs> you were the one who was scared and asked to hold hands and made him promise that he would never tell the story. <laughs> and I will not tell you who was lying. <laughs> There's only one reason that Adam could be and continues to be a good friend. It's because he has first of all recognized that Jesus has been his friend. And the truth for you this morning is that you are able to and free to love the people around you only because and insofar as you are open to Jesus already having loved you. The way that John puts this later in his first letter is we love because God first loved us. And what he meant by that is to say very simply, the reason that any one of us are able and free to love the people around us is because in Christ, God has already chosen to lay his life down for every one of us. And that means that Jesus has come to you already with open hands to love you. That Jesus has already interposed himself between you and every threat with clenched fists to love you. And Jesus has walked every step of the road with you already in the dark shoulder to shoulder. And all you need to do 
to be the one who receives and then passes on his love in the world which needs it is to let him love you. That is the gospel. And I invite you to accept it. That is, when Jesus sees every man and every woman in this place, he comes down right beside them, and in his hands, there is everything we could ever need. And the way that Jesus loves us is by laying his life down for us with open hands, letting us have whatever we need that he holds. And all you need to do is to take what he gives. It is that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, has been and will always be for you, and in that he comes right now and he stands between whatever wolf is after you to grab you by the throat and destroy you, and there interposing himself between you and that wolf, he promises to stay put and never go away. He loves you with clenched fists. And whatever road that is before you, whatever darkness you have to walk in right now, whatever steps are ahead of you that are far too much for you to take under your own power, Jesus promises to be your friend by laying his life down for you. Every step, even all the way into hell. Because on the cross he died to take away the sin and the debt that was against us so that we could be restored to perfect fellowship with him. If you will only say yes to him, here is what you should expect. That in him you have the friend who rescues and delivers in every way, and then you are free and able to love the friends around you by laying your life down for them. And then, according to Peter, and you should trust this, you will see your faith becoming fruitful and effective. And then the world will have what it needs in the gift that you personally bear into it. Let that friend come to mind. The one that you need to love more. Uh, the one that you need uh, to stand beside and fight for and share with. And now let's make this very simple. Let's ask for God's help that we should be good friends. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you that you've given every one of us someone to love as a true friend. Uh, would you save us from the illusion that we don't have what it takes, and instead would you help us know that because you've loved us already in Christ, that we ourselves are free to lay our lives down for those you've given to us to be friend. God, we are desperate to see the world healed and fixed and restored and transformed. We know that only your power and grace can do it, and so now we ask that you would help us grow in the virtues that Peter taught us to pursue so that we could become the change that the world needs and so that you'd use us to bring about your life and light where it's most needed. God, lastly, help us be good friends. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now hear this good word uh, which God gave to Moses and then Moses passed on to Aaron as a blessing for God's people. And that is my wish for you, every blessing in God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more about attending a worship service in the Great Auditorium, additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, 
and social media links, go to oceangrove.org.